Well, this morning I am incredibly excited because we are uh, kicking off a brand new series, as you can see up on the screen, called Genesis. And I'm excited that over the next month or so, we're going to be looking at Genesis, which is the very first book uh, in the Bible. And Genesis actually uh, literally means in the beginning. And this morning, we're, we're particularly going to uh, look at the first chapter or so, the what is commonly referred to as the creation narrative. But let me tell you a little bit about Genesis in general. Part of the reason it's called Genesis, other than just the fact that the very first line, the very first part is in the beginning of how God created the heavens and the earth. It's a book that is full of beginnings. It's a book that tells us about the beginning of God's creation of the heavens and the earth. It's a book that tells us the beginning of God's relationship with his creation, us. It tells us about how God first started making big promises with a people group. There's a ton of beginnings. And the truth is, we all have a beginning, right? Some of our beginnings were planned, some of ours were not. Some of our beginnings were uh, things that started off very abnormal, some as normal as can be. And Genesis is one of my favorite books in Scripture because there are so many great stories. But Genesis is interesting because most books in Scripture fit a certain literary style. So I don't know if you realize this or not, but within Scripture, we have some books that are poetry. We have some books that are just sort of like a historical record. We have some books that are more of a narrative, a story. We have some books... Uh, that are letters. Uh, a lot of the New Testament is made up of quite literally, we have letters that people wrote. And what's interesting about Genesis is Genesis is kind of this weird combination of lots of different things. There's some aspects that are very poetic in it. There's some that's obviously historical. There's some that is more of a narrative story. And uh, But I'm really excited. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do as we approach this morning and we approach this series, okay? The two big things that I want us to do in this series is one, I want us to look at it from the vantage point of the original audience that would have read this. You see, sometimes when we read scripture, one of the difficulties is going back to what the original readers would have read. It's the reason why oftentimes it's important to look at some of the original language, which I'm not that smart. I just read people who are smarter than me. But the reason is, is that obviously uh, when a when an ancient document is translated from one language to another, there can be times where it can be a little bit more difficult to fully understand all of the original meaning because there's a little bit of a disconnect. Sometimes there's not words in our English language that perfectly fit with the Hebrew word or the Greek word, depending on what book you're looking at. The other thing we're going to do, though, is also this. We are Jesus followers, right? We're, we're Christians, Christ followers. And so the Old Testament is so important. And I do not buy into anybody's view when they say we should just throw that out. Because the Old Testament tells the story of the need for Jesus. It tells the story of God's relationship with his people. And it definitely sets up the, the, the precedence for Jesus and for a Savior. But also, as Christ followers, we're not only going to try to read what did it mean for the original people who were reading this, and how did they take it? How did they interpret it? How did they understand it? But we're also going to try to read these things through the lens of Jesus. There's so much throughout the Gospels that point back to Genesis. And so each week we're going to try to look at different characters, different stories, different moments. And we're going to try to look at them through the lens of Christ followers. And what does that mean for us today? So here's another thing I'm going to do. 
And before anyone's like, oh gosh, he's going to be a heretic today or something like that. I want us to set aside maybe some of our preconceived notions with different aspects of the way that we have been taught, the way that we've been read, the way that we've read certain parts of scripture. And by no means am I going to go into some sort of crazy unorthodox thing. But here's what I want us to, to come, come to. And one of the things we're going to look at even this morning with creation is just this. There have been times where the church has taken on battles that I don't think Jesus ever called us to take on. And so, for example, this morning, as we're going to read through the creation narrative, oftentimes there's become this sort of big war between either you can believe in science or you can believe in Scripture, and that the two are mutually exclusive. And I think that that is a war that we have long time needed to put to rest that it is possible to be a faithful Christ follower and believe in kind of the advancements in science. In the same way, you can believe in the advancements of science and you're not dumb by believing in Scripture. You feeling me? Now, here's the other thing, too. We're going to talk a little bit about some different interpretations of uh, some of the creation narrative. And let me just say this. You can be a Christ follower and have different opinions than other people upon different things. For example, whether or not a day is 24 hours or a day is a certain amount of time. Okay. Some people have grown up in places where they've been told, if you don't believe this exact thing, and here's what I always come back to. I am a Jesus follower. And at the end of the day, the most important thing, the, 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 the the big sort of test in my life at the end of the age isn't going to be whether or not I adhered to every single little piece that different people taught me, but it was, did I believe Jesus was Lord? Did I try to live a life like him? And did I love my neighbor as myself? But as we approach Genesis, I will tell you this. I do believe Genesis is true. I believe Genesis is true. I don't think it's a fairy tale that was written to try to make us like have happy thoughts. I think it's true. I think the fact that Jesus taught the scriptures, which would have definitely included Genesis, as true. He never like sat back and during his parables was like, now Genesis has some cool stuff, but it's not actually real. I think if, I think if that was a big deal to Jesus, he probably would have made a mention of like, hey, like throw some of that out, okay? Let me tell you some new stuff. But let's dive into some scripture this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 uh, in two. And this is what it says. This is, this is a familiar verse. Whether you grew up in church or not, everyone knows this one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And there's a couple things to understand at the very beginning of this juncture. The first part, and we're going to get into Jesus involved in this too. But did you catch the last part there? The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, oftentimes we talk about things like the Trinity, right? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Where do we get those? We, we, you know, there's nowhere in scripture that actually says the Trinity. And yet we see the expressions, we see the characters, we see the persons of God being there from the very beginning of time, the very beginning of creation. So this would have been the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting though is I think one of the issues that we run into when we approach Genesis is we come to Genesis in a way that is in our own time period, okay? 
we oftentimes look to Genesis to answer questions that I don't think the original author, I don't think the original hearers were trying to look at. What I mean by that is the fact that we come to Genesis looking for it to be a scientific textbook. Now, by no means am I saying that it's not an accurate um, uh, story of creation. By no means am I not saying that there's nothing scientific about it. What I'm saying, though, is that when we come to it, oftentimes we're looking at it in our view. Now, let's just think about it for one second. Have you ever thought about the fact that you live right now in our earth at the time period in history that knows the most about our world? I mean, think about that. You grew up taking biology, taking chemistry, taking science classes in which there's aspects of our world that we now better understand than the leading experts a thousand years before us, the leading experts a hundred years before us. Isn't that kind of crazy when you think about it? And so when we come to certain things, we come at it from this idea where we have a very sort of like, you got to prove this to me. Uh, we know about, and I'm just going to throw out as many funny little scientific terms and some of you who are more scientific are going to laugh at me, but like, we know more about protons and neutrons and cells. We know about stars. We know about different distances. So we come from a vantage point where we ask questions that previous generations, previous people didn't ask those same questions. The reason why they didn't have the same framework as we do today. Now, that's not a question of whether or not we're right and they're wrong. It's just a question of the fact that we come to Scripture with questions that previous people didn't have the same questions that we do today. Are you feeling me a little bit? Now, what's even interesting is in this very beginning line that's the famous, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The original Jewish translation of how it really would have probably read out would have been more likely when God began to create the heavens and the earth. Now, one of the reasons why that's an important distinction is this idea that one of the things that Genesis never was intended to try to help us understand is how did God begin? Where did he come from? There are certain questions, there are certain things that when we think about God, God is never ending, God has always been. We can't really like sit back and say, when did God begin? When did all this happen? He just, he is. But what this does tell us, what Genesis is trying to tell us, is this is the beginning of when God began to create the heavens and the earth. It's not trying to tell us what God did before then. It's not trying to answer any other questions that. It's just trying to tell us at the very beginning, this is how God began to create. And in Genesis chapter 1, 3 through 25, which I'm not going to read, or 3 through 26, which I'm not going to read all of, this is how it begins right after that. It says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning on the first day. And now he goes through for five more days and continues to create. He creates land, he creates water, he creates all sorts of different things. And at the end of them, he always says, it is good. What's interesting, again, that I think some people get into, which I think is a bad question, a bad debate, is this this idea of, is the earth young or is the earth old? Are they talking in this story about it was a literal 24-hour day 
are they talking about that a day was more of a metaphorical term for a long period of time? Some people will even question about the fact that, that it seems like maybe there's a bit of a pause between, between when God began to create the heavens and the earth and when he finishes that very first day in which he brings light and darkness. Here's what I think, in my opinion. What I think is, I think sometimes we get our heads in the cloud and we miss the big point of the creation narrative. When we get so focused on what was a day, when we get so focused on trying to answer questions that I don't think Genesis was trying to answer. What I do think Genesis in particular was trying to let us know is this, is that the creation narrative is about who the creator is and who, or better yet, whose we are because of it. I think the most important part of it, it's not that it's not important to understand the days. It's not that it's not important to understand the order of things. But it's really a story of a creator, a one creator, not a creator who is distant, not a creator that's disengaged, but a creator who is deeply involved and invested into his creation. And in particular, what it means then for us being his creation. And why does that matter in particular? Well, this is what it says in Genesis 1, verses 26 through uh, uh, 28. It just says this. This is is on uh, the sixth day that this begins to happen. And God said, let us make. Now, let's just think about this for a second. Isn't it kind of funny? God said, let us. Let us. This is where we come back to this whole, obviously, all of the Trinity is there. Otherwise, God has, you know, multi-personalities and he's talking to himself. It says, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And this is significant. This is really significant. I think this is the most important part of this whole thing, other than understanding that God is the creator, that God was intentional, and that God saw that every bit of his creation was good. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, this is, this is, this is what we learn. It says, In the beginning was the Word, The word represents Jesus. The word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, as a Christ follower, one of the things that I think is so significant, so important, is this reminder that our Savior isn't someone who was the B team who was brought in at the end of the day where they said, all right, I've got no, no other options. Let me, let me call Jesus off the bench and send him in. But we find that from the very beginning, Jesus was a part of the creation. That Jesus was there creating man and woman in his image. That Jesus was there as the light of the world who, who, who saw a dark and formless and sometimes uh, some scholars will talk about maybe a bit of a chaotic world. And he brings peace and order. And the truth is Jesus in the very same way. 
when he came into this world, he created a new order in which he brought new peace and light to a dark place, a place that was full of chaos and sin. He came and made all things new. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about how it goes really bad, really quickly. But I think it's important to understand the fact that Jesus was always there. That Jesus is and always has been the light of the world, physically and metaphorically. In Genesis 1.31, the end of the sixth day ends by saying this. God saw all that he made And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. I love the distinction that on the other days it ends by just saying God saw it was good. But on the sixth day, when God gets done creating all of it, and in particular on the sixth day, think about this. On the sixth day, he created us. On the sixth day, he didn't just say it is good. He said, it is very good. You know what I found in my life? God doesn't make junk. I found in my life that even though it feels that way sometimes, it feels like our world is just so terrible. It feels like there are so many people who are so terrible. That if we go back to the very beginning, that our original factory setting the original way that God created us. He finished it up and he said, this is good. In fact, this is very good. And I think when we have a mindset like that, I believe it begins to help inform us on who God has created us to be. Not who we are, not who we've been, but who God created us to be. You know, you think about it in a kid's life, right? If I spent my whole time as a dad telling my sons that I thought you guys are terrible. I really don't like you. You're kind of messed up. You'll never amount to anything. The truth is, even if they rise up and overcome that, there's always going to be something inside of them, right? That is going to be saying, maybe my dad's right. In fact, dad was part of the creation of me. So maybe dad's right. But yet I think in the same way, there's this ability that we have the opportunity to speak words of life too. I know in my own life there have been people, some people even sitting in this room, who have called out truth and goodness in my life when I couldn't see it. Who saw goodness in me when I could not. And there's something about that. Here's what we learn, though, from this story, I think, most importantly, is that when God creates, it's always good. And when we understand that, we understand that we are created as a masterpiece. That you, son, you daughter, were created in the image of your heavenly father. That there's something about you that is set apart. That our God isn't a God who just sort of like threw some things in a pot and just left it alone and walked away. But that the God of all the universe was an intentional caring and loving creator. One of the coolest things I think about who God is and how he created is that he spoke and brought life. I mean, think about that. There's a lot of ways we could go with that, right? But how cool is it that our God 
He didn't just do it all in one day. He didn't just, you know, create something and leave, but he spoke life into this world. And the truth is, some of us this morning need to know that the God of all the universe is still creating and still breathing life into us. That he's not left you. That he doesn't just like say like, oh, sorry, you guys have kind of messed everything up. I'm out of here. But a God, he's a God who's deeply involved still to this day in his creation. In fact, one of the coolest things, we've talked a lot about that over the last month or so, is this idea that the God of all the universe left his spirit who was there at the beginning, who was there in the creation process, to live inside of us. This beautiful story tells us of a God who can speak words and things happen. And I don't know about you, but that's really good news. Because there's often times where I need God to speak words of life over me when I feel like the world has spoken words of death. I need a God who is in the thick of things with me. One of the most amazing things we'll talk about, especially next week, that just blows my mind is that God, after he created Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, that he used to just walk in the garden with them. I mean, how cool is that? It's a God who is deeply personal and invested in our world. What's amazing to me is any other world religion, any other thoughts of, uh, of some sort of idea of how creation happened or this idea of whether or not there is a God or there isn't a God, one of the things that I think is so significant, so unique, so beautiful about our one true God is the fact that he's personally invested in our life. That from the beginning, he's wanted to have a close relationship with us. That he's not an artist who creates and wants to get rid of. But he wants to keep us close. He wants to be with us. And so I want to leave you with this question as I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And they're going to sing one last song. When you speak in your life, do you breathe life? Or death into this world. If we are supposed to reflect our God. If we in some ways are, are, are a mirror for people to see Jesus. To see the one true God. Does our life. Does our wor- words that we speak. Do they breathe life. In newness. Is it, is it creative and beautiful. Or is it more of death and destruction. I think it's a fair question to ask as Christ followers. Because I think the way that we speak, I think the way that we live, I think the way that we invest in relationships has the opportunity to show people who God truly is or to show them a fake God who is distant, who is mean, who is unloving. And the question is, how shall we live? The question is, will we speak words of life? Because by no means can we perfectly, we can't speak and create the same way God did. But remember, you were created in the image of God. You were created to be like God in certain ways. And so what are you going to do this week in your own life to speak words of life rather than death? What are you going to do this week to add goodness to this world that God created? We have the opportunity every single day to do good, to advance the kingdom of God 
to make things here on earth more like it is in heaven. So the big question is, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with our time? I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And I'm going to pray and we're going to sing one last song. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the fact that God, God, when you speak, things happen. God, that you can move mountains, that you can create mountains. That God, you can bring life and God, you can even bring back to life things that have been dead. God, some of us this morning, God, some of us this morning need a resurrection, just like your son Jesus. Some of us this morning need a resurrection of our hearts, of our souls. Some of us this morning need you to breathe life into us in a new way, maybe for the first time ever. So God, I pray this morning that if there's someone in here, God, who maybe has never had relationship with their, your son Jesus, God, I pray that maybe this could be the genesis, the beginning of a new way of life for them. God, I pray that they would know that because of your son Jesus' sacrifice, because of his bloodshed, God, that we can have new life. I pray that we all would know that we can just repent, we can turn from our, our ways of sin and destruction, that we can ask for forgiveness and you shall forgive us. God, I pray that maybe this morning some of us take the first steps to become followers of you. God, I have no desire, no hopes that someone would just pray a prayer to feel good and leave this place. But God, I pray this morning that maybe your Holy Spirit would convict some of us and that God, we would become followers of your son, Jesus, seeking to live out a life that reflects the way that your son, Jesus lived. God, this morning, breathe life into us. Speak words of hope, of joy, of peace, and of love. God, as we sing, God, would our ears and our hearts be open to whatever you have to say to us this morning. We love you, O holy creator. We ask you to hear our prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen.